guys, it's Black Crew Call. I'm your host, Kay Montgomery. I'm really excited about today's show because we have a legend in our midst. Still young, still vibrant, still out here winning Emmys, y'all getting Emmy nominations left and right. It's John Simmons. Let me tell you guys a little bit about John. After leaving Chicago, he studied at Fisk University, then went and got a master's degree in cinematography from USC. In 2004, he was in de- he was inducted into the American Society of Cinematographers, where he currently serves as the co-chair of the ASC Vision Committee. He is also on the board of governors of the Television Academy and champions increased diversity on set. He's going to tell us all about the Vision Committee. John has had a prolific career uh, as a still photographer and a cinematographer. He's filmed numerous music videos and commercials with artists such as Stevie Wonder, Britney Spears, Snoop Dogg. I can't think of three more different people. That's just such a huge variety. I love it. He's collaborated with filmmakers including Spike Lee and Debbie Allen and has served as a director of photography for more than 25 TV shows. He's earned an Emmy for his work on Nicky, Ricky, Dickie, and Don and another two nominations for his work on Pair of Kings and a third for Family Reunion. I should also say actually a fourth for Family Reunion because he just got that nomination a few weeks ago. And his feature film credits include Once Upon a Time When We Were Colored, The Killing Yard, Collected Stories, The Gin Game, Asunder, The Old Settler, and the documentary Cool Woman and Dark Girls, which I just seen, which is great. Guys, We are in the presence of greatness right now. He's about to kick some real stuff to us. Uh, We're going to learn so much from this King cinematographer. I'm so excited to welcome you to the show, John Simmons. John, tell me, I I see that your tag says Johnny. Do you prefer Johnny? Well, all my friends call me Johnny. Okay. Maybe Johnny can live up to all that stuff that you said about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so we're super excited to talk to you. Um, So when people hear cinematographer, um, we think a lot of different things. Probably uh, some of those things are correct. I'm sure it's like an iceberg. We only see the top. There's a lot going on underneath. So can you tell us just a little bit about the position of cinematographer? Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that. I'm just going to preface it with this, which I'll tell you later on. But when I first how I, when I first got my scholarship to Fisk University and I was down there and an incredible man named Carlton Moss came there to do a lecture called The Image of the Black Man in American Cinema. Mm. And I showed him my photographs one day and he said, you're a cinematographer. Wow. I had no idea what that word meant. It wasn't a word that was being tossed around Chicago or Nashville, Tennessee. But I, be, I began to learn what it what a cinematographer is. <laughs> so I, um, I'll tell you what a cinematographer does. A cinematographer interprets the words on a page and gives them a visual language. And that visual language and the creation of that visual language is something that a cinematographer does with the director, the producers, the art director who designs the sets. And all that comes together to give a cinematographer a reference to be able to create the look of a picture. So my job is to create mourning in a living room, 
or afternoon to be able to choose the right lenses that either take the background out of focus to make it more specific to the person, to the story, to go on wider lenses, to whatever the palette you're trying to tell mm -hmm. is expressed like that. But the cinematographer is also responsible for the management of time, crew. And when I say crew, there's lots of crew. There's a camera crew, there's the electrical crew, there's the grip crew. And you're dealing directly with wardrobe in every department. Everything that goes in front of the camera rests on the shoulders of the cinematographer. And the better you're able to do it is with the most amount of information. Mm. So there's a lot of pre-production that goes into being a cinematographer. Hopefully, you don't always get that opportunity. And you also have to be able to roll with the punches, you know, because things change. The thing that I like to tell up and coming cinematographers is the first thing as a cinematographer, you learn story, you learn how to work the equipment, but then the greatest thing that you have to learn is to be able to navigate the environment that you have to work in, mm. you know, to be able to work with actors, to be able to work with directors, to be able to work with producers, studio heads, or if you're doing music videos or something, to work with talent, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's lots of things that rest on the shoulders of a cinematographer. It's like, by the time anyone sees anything that I've shot come to the screen, I mean, there might be 75, 80, 100 people involved in making it get there, right. you know? And now it's a little bit different than before, but um, because of digital technology, people are looking, um, there's, a, there's a bigger crowd looking at what you do. Hmm. You know, in the old days, cinematographer was more of a magician because you'd shoot film. And if you did have a monitor to look at, it didn't look like what you were shooting. It was a low quality image that just became a reference. You know what I mean? Um, so that was a different kind of cinematographer. Cinematographer had a closer relationship to the director. They stood next to the camera, you know. Mm. Now the cinematographer is somewhere in a monitor, you know, and the director's, you know, 20 feet away, you know, and you're talking to him on a walkie-talkie maybe. That's interesting. You know, and... You know that changed everything. And do you feel like for the bet for the better or for worse? Well, I can't say that it's for the better or for the worse, hmm. because people like immediacy. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't like the idea of a film going into the laboratory and not seeing it for a couple of days, and the only one knowing what it's going to look like is a cinematographer. And a lot of times the cinematographer is laying in the bed in the morning losing sleep because he's not really sure it's going to look like he thought it was going to look either. <laughs> um, you know, it's hard to say. You know, I mean, I love film. I love film because technically I like the way it looks, you know, I like the way it feels and the organic qualities that it has. And I like the fact that it's a private experience. It's a more intimate experience with 
the subject matter you like through the viewfinder. You know, there's not a lot of conversation about what you're doing, you know. Now, like last night, I was shooting a scene and the woman is crawling through a tunnel, you know, an air duct in a building. And it has vents in it. The light comes through the vents. And on my monitor, which is a $40,000 monitor, the one they give me, it's like, you know, perfect. So it looks like what it's supposed to look like on TV. Mm -hmm. And then the other monitors around the room are just monitors for people to look at. And I go out there and the guys are talking to me on the walkie-talkie, asking me, is this too dark, right? And um, they're seeing the poor quality. Yeah, and I had to say, come in here and to my room and see what it looks like. And then that was one of the producers. Oh, man, it looks like a painting. This is beautiful, you know? But I've got <laughs> like, I guess it's probably about 10 people sitting around that ugly monitor, you know? So, you know, cinematography has changed and it's continually evolving. You know, every every week there's a new camera, there's a new monitor, there's a new wow. light, you know? Back in the days when I first started, there were like three or four cameras that you could use, you know? Mm -hmm. Now there's like countless cameras. I mean, I carry a camera in my bag every day that I take my still photographs with that can also shoot 4K video. You know, wow. I've even used it on a TV show before. It's like, so things are changing, not to mention that I've even used my iPhone on a TV show. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's very different now. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, it just seems like when you were shooting on film, there probably had to be a lot more trust. I mean, you say you were losing sleep at night, but there has to be trust between a director and the cinematographer then because they really have to trust that you're looking through the viewfinder and that you're be being able to translate the vision and get the shot, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's all about trust. I mean, being a cinematographer now, even in the digital age, it's still about trust because by the time you get up in the morning and show up on set, there's a lot of money that has been spent mm. and a lot of stuff has to be executed within the time frame given to get it done, whether it's one day or 90 days, yeah. you know, it's never enough time. You know, you start off the day rushing and you feel like you're rushing for the entire length of the show, you know? So there's a lot of trust because you want somebody who can move fast, who can deliver the quality that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. And, um, tell a good story you know yeah yeah so I'm sure everybody's path is a little bit different um you told us a little bit how you went to Fisk and then how you essentially were discovered I mean someone <laughs> came out he looked at your photographs and said you're a cinematographer which to me is really interesting so just off on a tangent really quick um is that something that you now can do for other people can you tell just from a photograph and, and like this person did for you and say, oh yeah, I, I can tell this person from this photograph, this person is a cinematographer or from this set of photographs, this person is a cinematographer. Is, well, it, is it just the way it's shot? Is it the, there's, yeah, I'm There's a whole thing. There's a whole thing that has to happen for someone to actually recognize and acknowledge the potential in someone, mm. you know? Um, I work with a lot of young people and a lot, you know, I guess they call me a mentor to a lot of people. 
and the business is tough and the business is a solitary experience you know being a cinematographer doesn't happen with a group of people mm-hmm. shooting happens making a movie happens with a group of people but being a cinematographer doesn't happen with a group of people just like art doesn't happen with a group of people mm-hmm. no yeah so you look at someone's track record and what i mean by that is when carlton moss looked at my work he looked at a large body of work it was a large enough body of work to get me into film school mm-hmm. and to i mean to go to college fisk and i was sincere in my efforts you know i was working for a newspaper called the chicago daily defender and i started there when i was 16 years old that's the wow. oldest black publication in the country and because i wanted to learn my best friend's brother was an incredible photographer but i would have to clean up his dark room and run to the store and do all that kind of stuff just to maintain being in his presence mm-hmm. you know i was like one of those kung fu movies you know at the feet of the master or something yeah and you know it paid off and he introduced me to a lot of things he introduced me to other art forms he introduced me to jazz he introduced me to other artists you know and he could see that you know he inspired me and now it's a little bit difficult to find people that are willing to do that because a lot of the digital equipment makes it so easy Hmm. that you already feel like you know you know i mean you turn on a camera and it looks like that, whatever it is you're looking at. But what they don't know is that you can massage that environment, take light away, create create shadows. They don't know that those things happen. They don't know that a cinematographer needs to be well-versed in references to be able to go to museums and study paintings, mm-hmm. to read plays and study the structure of drama and it takes work and know when to do a close-up when to make something dark you know just to be able to understand things so when i take somebody on as a mentor i'll give anybody the first shot everybody starts off with 100 points and if the conversation is good i'm willing to listen Mm -hmm. and then you just have to see how much they're willing to invest in the process, you know? Yeah. And nothing's more disappointing than getting with someone who started out and they think they know, because I've been doing this since I was 16 years old and I still don't know. I'm still trying to make the camera see what I see. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's, it, uh, you, uh, all that stuff that you said about me makes it look like I've arrived at something, but I haven't arrived at anything. You know, I'm still like, I, I ain't exactly a ground zero, but but I'm, I'm still trying to, you know, really grasp this thing. There's, and something else, too, is that when I started out as a cinematographer, not that it's gone, gone away, but I started off in a very racist environment. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us that 
Um, I, I just heard a quick vignette about you calling a couple of mentors that had helped you kind of navigate and get into USC. And then you got on your first truck. Oh, yeah. Called them saying, hey, I don't know if you guys realize this is really racist. You know, this well, yeah, it was stickers. horrible. Yeah. yeah, it was terrible. The people that owned the company were very politically conscious people. A man named Cal and Ross Bernstein. They owned a commercial company. Mm hmm. And they were all about politics. If there was Cesar Chavez had his farm workers strike going on, we couldn't have any grapes on set. Oh, wow. And yeah. When styrofoam cups were uh, found out to be environmentally hazardous, no more styrofoam cups. You know, that's oh, who they were. They walked it, huh? Not yeah, just they walked it. it. And Carlton Moss, I have to tell you a little about who he is. Carlton Moss uh, was a film director that made a picture called The Negro Soldier, which was done in, during the time of World War II. And it was about black soldiers on the front lines of German, uh, of the German war. Oh, wow. And he also was Paul Robeson's road manager, Lena Horne's road, Lena Horne's road manager. He worked with W.B. Du Bois. Oh, and wow. He was a writer. He's a very incredible man who was blacklisted during the McCarthy era. Mm. And Cal and Ross Bernstein hid Carlton and his wife um, in their attic as he prepared to surrender on the indictment by the House of Un-American Activities. Wow. So that's who these people were. And they had the commercial company and Carlton got me a job as a PA working at the commercial company. So on my very first day of work, I see Cal and Roz, they're wonderful, you know, and they've already sent me a camera down to Fisk to use and, you know, this in support of my career. And I walk onto the truck and there's something called the grip box and the grip box is where they keep all the equipment. Mm -hmm. And it's about four feet tall and four by four, it's a big box. And all along the side of it, are all these racist cartoons. Martin Luther King drinking a bottle of ink and a watermelon patch and Asian people, you know, jokes about their eyes and all kinds of horrible shit. Gosh, and you know, I can imagine that because today, group trucks still do that, right? They still <laughs> decorate and have stickers and just the idea that they were all racially offensive is wild. Yeah, Sorry, exactly. <laughs> so, um, Nobody was on the truck. And I went out to the office to call Carlton. And I said, hey, man, I don't know, but you might have me in the wrong spot. And I tell him what I saw. And he says, uh, he said, this is not for me. Do you know any black people making movies right now? Mm. I said, no. He said, do you want to be a cinematographer? I said, yeah. And he hung up the telephone. Wow. And I worked with those people for about two years. And I would have to listen to all kinds of jokes about black people, black man, Chinaman, white man, wow. you know, all that kind of crazy shit, right? Yeah. And then one day, 20 years later, I'm at Warner Brothers Studios and there's a, I have a parking space and my name is on the parking space. And there's this dude standing in my parking space when I arrive in the morning. 
He turns out to be this Jewish cat named Jerry Posner, who eventually be, owned a company called Hollywood Film Rentals. Mm -hmm. But at the time, he was just an electrician. And whenever those guys would be telling these nasty jokes, Jerry would be there, sitting in the background, just staring at me. He'd never participate. And that morning when I saw him on the truck, on the in my parking space, he said, oh yeah, I knew you were gonna be all right because you put up with all that stuff. And as soon as they got finished talking nasty, you'd ask a question. And if they didn't answer the question then, you'd ask the question later. Wow. He said, so I knew you were gonna make it. And you know, the thing is, any artist is going to be confronted with so many obstacles, mm -hmm. but their passion has to be greater than any obstacle. Mm. The passion has to be greater than even seeing the obstacle, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's what it was for me. And it stayed that way for a long time, Kay. It didn't go away with being successful. I had this cat who used to do my lighting. This is during the time I was making music videos, you know, doing Ice Cube and mm -hmm. all them people, right? And we would look for a, a stage to shoot a show in. And my buddy Edwin was a tall white dude. He was from Amsterdam. He lived in my neighborhood. And we go into the building and all the white folks would run up to Edwin he didn't speak very good English. Mm -hmm. They'd run up to him as he was walking around looking at the height of the ceiling and checking out the power. And I'd be looking at stuff that related to what I needed to do, but I'd be by myself over there. And then those people would come up to him and say, so what do you think? Mm. And he would say, doesn't matter what I think. I work for him. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and that would happen more than once. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I just had to look past all that, you know, mm -hmm. and just do what I had to do. And now the struggles can be a bit different for young people. And nonetheless, there's a struggle, you know, because of oversaturation. Mm -hmm. There's so many people trying to do this now, you know, right? It's become accessible. The equipment has become democratized to the point that, you know, you can pick this up and tell a story. Right. The phone. Right. Yep. You know, when I was doing it, if I wanted to shoot a test, I had to shoot it inside the building where I rented the cameras. I couldn't, mm. didn't have the insurance to take it outside. You wow. Know? wow. So, <laughs> excuse me. So it's a different time. So listen, y'all, John Simmons had so many golden nuggets for us. It was too much for one episode. So we've broken it into two parts. So you're going to go and check out that second part. I want to thank you so much for joining me today on part one of the John Simmons Black Crew Call episode. I'm your host, Kate Montgomery. Until next time, stay black and keep dreaming. Special thanks to David Lawrence, who does our editing and Kala for our music.